Hey everybody, welcome to the Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, uh, today, well, <laughs> I had a plan. Uh, what's the uh, what's the uh, what does Mike Tyson say? Every, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Every, everybody has a plan until somebody something triggers them. Well, I was, I hate to say it, I was triggered. I was triggered earlier. Dang it! I made the mistake. I came into the studio here to record and I made the mistake of I'll just click I hadn't I hadn't looked at social media at all today I'm, I'm trying there's a couple things that I'm trying to do uh this month of February just kind of kind of do a little purge uh, I'll talk about that coming up I've got a guest coming up this week that we're gonna we're gonna talk about some just just some fun stuff just different stuff but anyway I'll, I'll dive into what I'm doing in the month of February uh during that period but anyway I'm part of what I'm doing I'm trying to try not to spend as much time on social media and so i haven't opened any social media at all today and it's what is it it's uh 2 30 now so until like two o'clock so i walked in here i don't know if it was two o'clock but right just to say it was two o'clock um whatever time i walked into the studio i don't know why i decided to check social media but i tried decided to check social media and there was an account that i followed that's that they're awesome that the guys are awesome and they're they're crushing it these days and uh, i love the i love everything they're doing <laughs> there was a couple posts that were made in there and and they had asked for feedback or like it captioned this or you know feedback and i'm like <laughs> okay and uh so i chimed in uh, remember, remember those earlier podcasts that said Chrissy's going to start talking? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this political stuff that's going on is just, there's so much to talk about and, and, um, it was related to that. And so I, I fired off a, co- a couple comments that, uh, basically that, that were bullshit um, not my, I don't think my, I'm, I was calling bullshit. Let's just put it that way. And of course, immediately I get a response. They're like, what are you talking about? So we went back and forth a little bit on, uh, Instagram and I'm not going to go into it because I, I think we'll, we'll, I think we're going to try to hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can do a podcast towards the end of the month and we can really just, dive in. Chrissy's, Chrissy's going to start talking. And quite honestly, I think I'm going to make a thing. I, I, I did this. I, I had said this and I did this on the Stickbow Chronicles, the last uh, podcast I did for Rob Petuto on his, the Stickbow Chronicles with me and Drew, uh, or Drew and I, I should say, um, <laughs> where I put my black hat on. Okay. I, I'm normally wearing my camo, my, just my camo RHR hat, but I had to put my black hat on, my bad guy hat on, and and I, I think that's what I'm going to end up doing on a couple of these here coming up because um, some things need to be said. I don't know. I mean, I let me just refresh. I think they need to be said. I think a lot of things need to be said, and I think we need to have some really, really honest discussions and start calling bullshit where we see bullshit and clean up some of of what we're what we're doing, what we're seeing. Um, and how we engage on the landscape as sportsmen. So that I'm hoping that can come to fruition. I'm, I'm hoping we can get on a podcast and, and have a good discussion. But I think that's what it's going to be. I think Chrissy's going to just put on the black hat, <laughs> just uncork. It should be a fun. It should be a fun conversation. I'm, I'm not. It, it should be. It, 
It might be uncomfortable, but I think it's going to be fun. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe they'll hand my own ass back to me. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll find out, but it's going to be fun discussion nonetheless. But uh, anyway, it is the day before uh, Valentine's Day, if that matters to you. Um, if you have a significant other in your life, they probably might think about it being important to them. So uh, don't forget that it's uh, Valentine's Day tomorrow. For us, we're gonna we're gonna go out to dinner, and uh, but unfortunately, the restaurant that we want to go to is closed on Mondays, regardless of Valentine's Day. So we're gonna go to dinner on Tuesday. So, but anyway, Sunday, thirteenth of February, We've got a couple things that uh, I'll dive into, and it kind of it, it'll tiptoe into some of the politics stuff that I was just alluding to earlier. And this is gonna revolve around a lot of people are wondering why in the world. You know, what the hell's going on? Why are we seeing this flurry of activism? You know, uh, animal activism or even sportsman activism, if you want to talk. Just, just this flurry of activism. You know, let's just kind of talk about, just kind of touch on some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And what the hell is going on? Um, and then um, maybe I'll talk about a little bit of some of the, just real briefly, you know, just touch on a little bit of the sportsman ad- advocacy that I'm seeing lately and, and maybe where we and just gently tiptoe into it and just kind of some of my ob- just more targeted observations. Um, so that's what, we'll, that what that's what we'll talk about today. Um, but I, you know, the other and this came up this morning. So I'm going to add a third thing to here that just doesn't even it's not even related to that about shooting a rifle. You know, if anybody's out there shooting rifles now, granted, I'm going to I'm going to qualify this right now. There's a lot of you that shoot rifles then know what the hell you're doing and take this information for what it were. If it doesn't pertain to you, then just move the hell on. However, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, there's a, probably a lot of you that this does pertain to you and you don't even know it pertains to you. And so you don't even know what you don't know. So listen to this and, and just trust me and go out and verify because here's what, I, here's what's going on. So I need to get involved. I, we, I, we got, I, the coyote, numbers are just stupid. I've talked about this repeatedly. I'm just going to keep bringing it up. We've had a couple of our, one of my landowners, and then there's neighbors and other people around that have been going out and doing coyote hunts. And some of them have been successful. You know, they get a dog or two here or there. But there's a lot of, you know, missed shots and just missed opportunities and just the sets didn't work and blah, 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 blah. So there's a there's a variety of reasons why maybe some of their hunts weren't as success, successful as as they could have been, uh, and I have not been out yet because I figured well these guys are are they they had a reason for their little push of what they were doing and I figured well, I'll let them have at it. Well now that push is over and so now it's my turn to go out there and see what we can do. Um, so I have a couple of different rifles. The one that I have that I really like taken for coyotes is my two forty three. But I haven't shot that in a while. Uh, it was sighted in. Uh, it's been sighted in for a while, but I just haven't shot it. And so I decided, well, I need to go out and just verify, make sure that we're still sighted in. It's shooting. It's hitting where I want to hit, and let's just go out there. And I had two different... Now, I used to do a lot of reloading. And I've, I mean, I'm literally sitting next to the reloading bench here, and I need to get back into doing some reloading. I've got all the components. I just, it just They've just been sitting there. So I need to get back into to, um, reloading especially for the 243 and especially for coyotes because the the Sierra if you do any reloading I man I love Sierra bullets 
I'm sorry I'm biased. I, I, they just have always, I don't know if I've been able to get the recipe right. I don't know if they're doing something magically delicious that's different than anybody else, but they just fly, man. They, I just, I can get those bullets to fly out of my rifles beautifully. And so Sierra bullets have always been a, a, a good bullet choice for me. And, and I've got a bunch of Blitz Kings that are, um, that, that are, that are great for, for coyotes. And, and I mean, they just, the bullet impacts the animal falls down. I mean, they just, that, that's just what it is. And so, um, but I don't have any of those reloads loaded up. And so a couple of years ago, I had to go just get regular boxes of, of factory ammo. Like most people do, they're just going to go buy a box of factory ammo. And so I went and bought a couple of boxes of different stuff just to run through the gun. Now, number one, there you go. I know that this is, is, is something that has been talked about in other platforms over the years. I mean, just like repeatedly over there. I remember learning about this stuff when I started hunting, but regardless, I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate it because I'm watching people make these mistakes today. I went and bought a couple different boxes of ammo. So I went and bought some Hornady ammo. I went and bought some Federal ammo. And I went and bought some Remington ammo. That's literally what we had available at the local. Uh, this is a few years back now. This was at Ace Hardware. Ace Hardware sells you know ammo here locally. And they had, a, a at the time, they had a mix of ammo that I could choose from. So I chose bullets in and a bullet weight that was you know somewhat similar but i just tried different bullets different brands just see okay let's just see which one shoots best now granted each box of bullets each box of ammo is going to run you about you know i don't know 30 bucks i got one on sale i think it was 20 bucks but i think they were mostly between 20 and 30 bucks okay but i still bought three different boxes of ammo because i've learned and i know and people talk about this all the time is not every box of ammo, brand of ammo, bullet weight, bullet configuration is going to fly the same. And each one is going to, the recipe, so when you look at ammunition and you look at how a, a, a round is built, make sure I'm still recording here. What the hell is going on? All right, we're still good. Um, you've got the bullet, you've got the casing, you've got the powder, you've got the primer, all right, and the bullet specifications are different. The weight of the bullet is different. How it's engineered is different. What the tip is made out of, or, or shaped, or whatever. All of those, all of those components. You figure, you know, imagine like a recipe, you know, for chocolate chip cookies. All right, you can make chocolate chip cookies. Your wife can make chocolate chip cookies. Or your husband can make chocolate chip cookies. Your mom can make chocolate chip cookies. Your grandmother can make chocolate chip cookies. Everybody can make chocolate chip cookies and, and put together the basic recipe. And everybody's chocolate chip cookie is going to be different, right? Because you cooked it in a different oven. Maybe your oven has a different temperature, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, your, your, your variation on your ingredients are going to change that chocolate chip cookie. And Nary the two, they're, they're going to be different, slightly different. They're all tasty. They all work technically, but some are tastier than others, right? So the recipe and how you engage that recipe and your oven engages that recipe is all going to end up giving you a certain cookie. Well, we're looking for the best cookie possible, right? So from an ammunition standpoint, you got the bullet and how the bullet is manufactured, how it's engineered, what the designs are and, and all that. You've got the powder. There's all sorts of different powders. You got the primer, you got the casing, then you got your barrel, your twist rate, your length of your barrel, all the above. 
are going to play with one another that recipe of the of that ammunition how it was built when it when that when you fire that round and that bullet comes out of that barrel it's going to come out in a certain way and it's going to have a certain level of accu- of precision not accuracy at the moment accuracy is is whether you hit where you're seeing precision has to do with how well precise how how tight of a group you have how how repeatable those bullets hit the same spot or the same general area over and over and over and over and over and over again. Okay. So initially I'm looking for precision of that ammunition. (laughs) Well, I can't tell you the number of times when people come out and whether, and today it's, it's so much, it's so different. Whether, you know, somebody show as if you're, if you're a guide and an outfitter, or if you just run hunts or if you're involved with a lot of different hunts and a lot of different people, you're going to see a lot of different rifle setups. You're going to see a lot of people show up with a bunch of different skill sets with a, with their rifles in, a, in a, a wide array of preparedness. And you're going to see a wide array of people using a bunch of different ammo. And again, I'm not talking about people that reload right now. I'm talking about factory ammo. And you'll have people show up, you know, like, and I'll ask them, I'm like, all right, what are you shooting? Oh, I'm shooting this. Okay, what is your comfortable range? What do, you, what do you feel comfortable shooting out to? Oh, such and such yardage. Okay, what bullets are you, you know, what what round, what ammo are you using? Or, or more importantly, I, a lot of times I'll ask what bullet they're using so I can kind of gauge what I'm expecting on as far as a, a performance. And you'll see people, I, I have all people all the time, they'll say, oh, I shoot such and such because uh, I'm on their pro staff or, or I'm on their, I'm their, I'm on their staff or I, I shoot such and such or, or, oh, I, I shoot such and such because I, I get a good, I get a good deal on these. Okay. Or quite honestly, some people are buying ammo, ammunition because maybe the manufacturer bought a full page four color ad in a magazine or put a, 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 60 second ad on, you know, some TV show and it just looks sexy and cool. And the Uwad, you know, the G whiz bang, you know, hotness, greatness. This is the new ammo that I got to shoot. And so they buy a box of it. They go to the range, they shoot, maybe get it sighted in, maybe. And then they're good. You know, quote unquote, we're good to go. Maybe that's the case. All right, maybe that's the case. And I'm not going to go through fundamentals of, of mark, marksmanship. There's so many other people out there on YouTube. And I mean, geez, like actual snipers, like professional shooters, former military snipers, a lot of people out there giving instruction on how to shoot. Okay, learn from them. If, if you're not happy with your grouping and, and your, your rifle performance and how you shoot and how you, you perform on the landscape, look at some of the fundamentals. But by, But bottom line, man, I saw this today. So I went out today to just verify my rifle. And I had two boxes of ammo. One box, I only have a handful of, of rounds left. The other box, I had quite a few rounds. And I was like, man, I think I have a reason why I had a, quite a few rounds. I don't think this this particular brand... Well, I don't mind, I don't mind saying it. I, 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 have no, I have no allegiance to it. So it was, it was Hornady. I had, a, I had some Hornady uh, ammo that... I had and and SSTs, and then I had some Federal uh, Nosler ballistic tip um, ammo. So I decided to try the the Hornady first. 
100 yards. I'm sitting on a bench with a rifle in a lead sled. Uh, minimal contact. I can dial that thing in. I mean, the, there was like single-digit wind speeds, and the wind was at my back. Lighting was perfect. Everything was perfect to, to shoot this morning and, and verify. That's why I went this morning. First shot, okay. Thought maybe. I was like, man, did I? It didn't feel perfect. So I'm like, all right, next shot next shot and I decided to go ahead and do a fourth shot. Normally I can do a three shot group and tell what I'm doing. I decided to throw a fourth one in there just because I was like, all right, maybe that first one wasn't as perfect as it could have been. Walk up to walk up to the target and legitimately out of, it's just a Remington model 700, 243 big, you know, out of the box from a big box store back in 1990 with a cheap Burris three by nine by 42 scope on it. Nothing special. Okay. Duplex reticle, your basic, a basic cheap rifle setups, inch and a half group at a hundred yards. And I know how to shoot. Okay. Inch and a half group at a hundred yards. I'm like, well, that's why that box is still there. Cause that's, that's crap. All right. So I go back to the bench, pull out the other box, shot number one, shot number two, shot number three. I'm like where the hell did that hit? Walk up to the target. There's two holes. First shot on its own, second shot and third shot basically went in the same hole. Got less than a half a minute of angle, half an inch, less than a half an inch group at 100 yards. Well, guess which round, which which ammo I'm using. That the difference in boxes, and, and I I know this gets hammered over and over again, but the problem is, is people don't follow through and follow the follow the advice. Go get different boxes. If you're going to shoot factory ammo before you start slinging lead at animals, go get different boxes and run it through your damn rifle. Because you can go from a half inch group, if you know how to, if you have good fundamentals of marksmanship and know how to run a rifle, literally two different boxes of quote unquote, what, you know, high end ammo, blah, 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 whatever, you know, people, ooh, ah, you, you, each of these manufacturers are going to run full page ads and magazines. They're going to have full on 30, 60 second, you know, ads on TV and ooh, ah, blah, blah. The only way you're going to be able to tell that it actually works out of your rifle is to send it down range out of the actual rifle you're going to shoot with. The first one, inch and a half, inch and a half at a hundred yards. No, sorry. Unacceptable. Now, my again, this is not a custom rifle, and I don't have all the gee whiz bang stuff on. I don't have a barrel tuner on there. I don't have a you know a, a, I don't I don't like um, ported barrels, but that's just me. Um, I don't. I, there's there's nothing ooh ah whoopty woo about this rifle. It's just your. It's just a, a cheap off the shelf standard. Big box store, out of the box, Remington Model 700. Now, granted, it was back in 1990, back when Remington, you know, I, I still like Remington, but it's got its issues these days. Neither here nor there. But regardless, an inch and a half group? No. Wrong answer. Because again, as you take that out, your group, if you're only at inch and a half at 100 yards, you're talking plus, you're talking three inches minimum at 200 yards. You're talking four and a half inches at, what, three, 300 yards? You got anyway. Your group just starts opening up versus a half-inch group. 
at 100 yards. Okay, that's it. Yeah, I could take that. Now, and then once you have that precision, once you know how tight your group is, then you just you just adjust your scope to put the, the group wherever you want on that target. Do you want it dead on at 100? Do you want it dead on at 200? Do you want it three inches high at 100? Or what? You can figure out that based on the external ballistics and how the bullet you know, flight path is and, and what you want to do with it. But regardless, get find a, a box of ammo that's going to give you the most precise grouping possible. Who gives a crap if it's popular? Who gives a crap if it's got a really cool looking shiny box? Who gives, and quite honestly, I'm sorry, who gives a crap if the, if the company wants to give it to you for free? What good, I, I've got this box of Hornady SST, right? I'm, I'm going to probably give it to my, a buddy of mine or sell it. or I, it, It's doing nothing for me. I'm not running that stuff through my rifle. Now, granted, I'm not saying that the SST bullet is bad. It's probably a good bullet, but that, that recipe that that Hornady put together in that casing just does not work out of my rifle. I very well might be able to take a Hornady bullet SS, you know, Hornady SST and put it in and reload and, and work up a reload that might be better. I don't know. But for if you're just gonna sit and shoot factory ammo for for the love of run some run some bullets out that barrel from different manufacturers, different rounds. Different ammunition is going to perform wildly different. Can can you know can perform wildly different out of your rifle. Now, granted, I understand finding good ammunition these days and finding diversity of ammunition these days can be difficult. Yeah, yeah, it can be. But guess what? We're winding down out of the bulk of the hunting season this year. We've got it. How many months before really we get you know fired up about rifle shooting again? Coyote hunting this winter, notwithstanding. All right, if you're just deer hunting or big game hunting, elk hunting or whatever, you've got a bunch of months coming up. So start paying attention and just start picking up a box or two or three here and there and whatever and start playing with them. Because it's okay, it's it's one thing to be on a bench. So I'm on a bench with a with a lead sled and and I I know that those crosshairs ain't moving. And so the rounds going down range, we're going right down range where they need where where my scope was looking. And they're as precise as that barrel is going to let, and that recipe in the bullet is going to, in the round is going to give it. Now, when I go out to hunt, am I going to be that precise? Probably not. Now, I do prefer to shoot from prone position, but a lot of times, especially coyote hunter or whatever, you might be seated, you might be in a weird position. All right. Well, yes, my gun, the 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 actual rifle shoots in in that uh, round that that ammunition shoots a half minute of angle precision at 100 yards but me running the equipment sitting behind the rifle scope with a with the gun up uh, to my shoulder i might be you know seated on a tripod or seated on a bipod uh or shooting six or whatever an animal shows up i've got to adjust a little bit i'm not quite perfect and i, I put the crosshairs on and i pull the trigger i might be two three four inches my group consistently at 100 yards in the real world conditions i'm not a professional sniper i don't run thousands of rounds down range each year and, and really i i'm good enough to do what i need to do and, and i'm efficient at it so but seriously i'm gonna be plus or minus two inches three inches i don't know depending on and, and especially if we start getting out to distance so if i'm shooting a half minute of angle a, a half inch group at 100 yards that precision gives me a hell of a lot more flexibility when I'm in a real world situation to put the 
crosshairs on the animal, squeeze the trigger, and know that even if my crosshairs wandered plus or minus two inches, that bullet's still going right where it was supposed to go. And I'm going to have a very quick, clean, efficient kill. If my group is an inch and a half, and now I start wandering two, three inches plus or minus, now how big is my group at 100 yards? And then if I take it to 200 yards, geez, oh, Pete, no wonder we're mi- a lot of people are missing animals. And especially when we're talking about coyotes, the more you miss, the more you educate and the and more difficult it is to get that animal in later on if you choose, if you need, you know, you feel that you want to go and try to take that animal at a later date. You don't want to be educating animals. If you're going to go out there and, and shoot, especially predators, be judicious about it. And if they come in, you shoot them, you kill them and dump them. Okay. Now, obviously, I know that's not how it always works, but that's what you should be wanting to do, and you should have your equipment set up to where you, it, it it will allow you to do that. If you are not double-checking the rounds, the, the ammunition that you're using, man, and that's the other thing, too. Just shooting more doesn't tighten your group. That's the other thing. I can, I, I'll go to the range, and I'll see guys at the range... Mostly, and it's mostly guys. I'm, I'm not going to crucify the the ladies because most of the time ladies are better shots than men and they get it quicker. I'm sorry to say that, but it's truth. They'll have two or three boxes of ammo there and they're just, inter, they're just I'll grab one round of that one, run round of that one, one round of that one, right? And they're just intermixing it and they're just sending it down range and they're hitting a pie plate and they're like, ah, it's good enough. It's like, oh my word. What did you learn from that? Nothing. And if you, and if, if you have a box of ammo that when you shoot, you've got an inch and a half or two inch group at 100 yards. It doesn't matter if you put 10 rounds through it. If you put three or four good, solid, perfect, executed rounds through that rifle, you're going to know what that box of ammo is going to do for you. You don't have to shoot a full box of ammo just to try it. Now, if you're, if you're, scope is crappy and you're trying to get it sighted in and you're trying to move your scope around and you make mistakes turning the scope wrong directions and all that okay well then you're gonna burn through some ammo but just shooting more times more rounds down range is not going to tighten your group grab a different grab a different box of ammo and evaluate and then you're then that's just what it's going to be you're just going to have to choose which one gives you the most precise grouping and depending on what's available out there, if you, if all you have is factory ammo, that's all you can do. And literally, no matter where you try to get ammo, you're limited to a certain brand or a certain box of ammo, and that's all you've got. Well, then go shoot it and figure out what it is and, and adjust your maximum effective range off of that. But, man, don't assume. Don't assume because somebody had a really cool, ooh shiny advertisement that that's the best, that's the greatest and best ammunition that you need to start shooting and then go put it in your gun and and not verify stuff, man, because it's just going to, your hunts are not going to be successful. You're going to be wounding more animals. You're just going to be sending lead down range when ammo is not cheap anyway. It just is a recipe for going to have a bad day. All right, enough of that rant, but it was it was good to see the rifle was still on, and it was good to see that the thing still shoots with those federal, the the federal, uh, federal ammo. What was it, seventy grain ballistic tips? Yeah, I'll shoot those babies. But that's until I get the, I need to break out my two forty three dies and all my all my 
kit and everything and start loading up some blitz kings again because those were about a quarter to a half inch uh, group back in the day. So those were even more precise, which was nice. But man, I know ammo's <clears throat> expensive. I know it's hard to get, but that does not excuse you from going and verifying and, and finding the best one out of your rifle because your hunt's going to depend on it and the animals deserve it. All right, <clears throat> enough of that. So, but it was fun. It was just fun to get some trigger time. I it just sitting behind the bench and just just target shooting. It just it is amazing how relaxing that can be. So yeah. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> so what the hell is going on with all of the this flurry of activist petitions? Uh, you know, some people are saying attacks on hunting and et cetera. We've got from Washington to California to Arizona to Colorado to, you know, you name it. It just seems like there's a lot of people getting frustrated uh, and get a little panicked and they're seeing all this just barrage coming at them. And they're like, geez, oh, Pete, you know, what are we going to be able to, you know, what, what's going to happen and what are we going to say? Okay, well, hold on a minute. Take a deep breath. Take a moment and think about what's going on these days. What year is it? 2022. Okay. What's going on? What has been going on in the these past couple years? What have you seen? Again, we're talking basically, let's let's take a moment and take here we're just talking about shooting. You know, so many people are now getting concealed carry permits and, and following folks like Mike Glover and Fieldcraft Survival and uh, Tim Kennedy and Sheepdog Response, and I've got friends that are in Denver area doing the Sheepdog or the uh, uh, Able Shepherd program, which is awesome. Um, what is one of the number one things that they talk about? The instructors talk about when we're talking about concealed carry or self defense and that type of stuff. Situational awareness, not just what's happening in front of your eyes right there, but what happened as you were approaching the grocery store. When you pulled into the parking lot, where did you park? Why did you park there? What did you see? Who are you engaging? What are you seeing in the in the in the the the, the people that are around you, walking to and walking from the the grocery store? All that situational awareness is going to give you an indication of what's going on, or or can help give an indication of what you might expect when you get to wherever you are, or, or what you're seeing at that moment in time. So the same thing goes when we're talking about these these political type of deals. What was your situational awareness? Let's take a step back, take a 30,000 foot view and say, okay, what's been going on? All right. It's 2022. What does that mean? Well, one of the big things it means is that we have midterm elections coming up this November. In some states, you also have governor elections coming up this November. You say, okay, well, why is that important? Well, if we're talking about the governor elections, governors are the ones who typically appoint wildlife and natural resources commissions. They're the ones that typically appoint 
directors of Department of Natural Resources, directors of Parks and Wildlife or Fish and Wildlife agencies. All right. So the governors are going to have a direct impact on the direction that the Wildlife and Natural Resources Commissions and the agencies are going to have, the direction they're going to have, okay? And the influences that they're going to have and and navigate that agency and that commission over time, dealing with wildlife issues. So governor elections are huge. But so are, if you look at, you know, what was going on in Colorado and some of the other places where the activists were going legislatively. Okay, legislatively. Okay, what's going on legislatively? Again, we're talking about midterm elections. There are going to be elections for Senate seats, state Senate seats, as well as state House seats or assembly seats, depending on the state. Some are House of Representatives. Some some states are assemblymen or sem, yeah, state assemblymen, I think is it, assemblywomen, right? So those midterm elections are coming up. All right, now let's pause that a minute. And then let's also take a look back and say, okay, well, what have we also seen these, you know, this past year and the year before that? All right, well, we were coming out of COVID, right? Okay, we were coming, okay, we, so, we, so we were dealing with COVID. And, and what else? We were coming out of the Trump presidency. And January 6th, remember that? And so when we look at 2020, all of the riots, all of the Antifa stuff, all of the BLM stuff going on in certain states, where was a lot of that happening? A lot of that type of that that turmoil and unrest and general angst and, and riots and tur- all that, most of it, was happening in places like Washington, California. There was even some in Colorado. A lot of them were focused in and around liberal progressive cities. Why? Because most of the time, from a politically ideological standpoint, those states and those cities are more tolerant to that type of behavior, more sympathetic to that type of behavior. And so they did not want to clamp down on it and shut it down harshly, right? So the general public in many of these states have this, and and a lot of that, if you look back on what was going on with those riots and, and all that type of stuff, it was a lot of people that were emotionally charged. They weren't thinking rationally. They weren't using logic and, and, and statistics and everything else to make up their mind on something. No, they were triggered emotionally, whether it was from the media stirring them up, people around them stirring them up, or whether they just wanted to go out and just be just general wretched little treacherous pieces of you know what. Most of the engagement was from an emotional standpoint, right? So people embraced their emotions, acted on their emotions, let their emotions run wild. The states in a lot of these cities that allowed it just acquiesced to it and allowed them to do, I mean, hell, Washington State, Chaz, right? That the autonomous zone, right? Cities just allowed this stuff. Liberal, progressive ideology. I'm not. I'm. We're not going to go down the road of casting stones on it because we can talk about postmodern progressive ideology 
maybe later. But regardless, these states generally were sympathetic to that movement and allowed it to happen in one way, shape, or to, to varying degrees. Let's just say that, okay? And then on the same time, at the same time, you had the COVID rules going in where there was this heavy-handed, top-down, authoritarian, government said, do this. Government said, you shall do this. Government shut you down. Government did this, okay? So there was, in the beginning, it started off as, we're all in this together. And then in some places... It just continued to go. It continued to be ridiculous. And it be, it just kept growing. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. But what happened with the people that were dealing with that from a day-to-day basis? You still, you have some from the COVID standpoint that were, I'm sorry, a lot of the COVID stuff ended up becoming a cult-like following. A blind cult-like following. And there is a percentage of the population that it does not matter what the government says or what the, what the people in charge say to do, they are going to double down on it and they'll do everything because they want to allow someone else to make the decisions. Someone who's wiser, someone who's smart, who, someone who they believe in their value set is smarter, wiser, uh, in control, more important, whatever you want to say. They look to them as a, as a person of authority and they are, they, in their mind, in their value set, they are a compliant individual and they're damn well, I'm going to do everything that I'm, I'm told to do. And that belief structure becomes so ingrained that when they see other people not doing what the, what they, their chosen authority is telling people to do, it becomes us against them. People getting mad because people aren't getting vaccinated. People are mad because other people aren't wearing masks. People are mad because of, you know, whatever. They're not following the cult-like mentality of this authoritarian control due to COVID restrict, you know, COVID restrictions. So how does that play in? You just, we had two years of where we had a year where there was a lot in some of these cities where we're in some of these states where we're seeing a lot of these animal activists um, efforts popping up. Washington, California, Colorado. Okay, they know. And look at the the, the wolf issue. Where where was the where did they go? They went to California for the court. Okay, they they are targeting places that generally lean progressive left ideology, so ends justify the means. They're going to places that the population, by and large, has demonstrated either a value set of environmentalism and anti-hunting, emotional uh, decision-making, or where they think that the vest, the the bulk of the people are asleep and they can slip something through, but most of the time they're going to those places. They're they're going and attacking those states where the state has valued that type of ide- the animal activist type of ideology, or they acquiesce to emotional type of pleas rather than logic, stats, statistics, 
rational, you know, rational arguments, et cetera, et cetera. It's emotionalism. Emotionalism in places where they normally focus a little bit more left of the spectrum. So they're going there. But why the flurry? I mean, it makes sense. You, you, you're going to go to the place where you think you're going to find the least resistance. But why the flurry? Why this sense of urgency now? In my opinion, is because while in 2020, you had a group of people that acted out in emotion. You know, a lot of the populace just went and flowed with their emotion. And even the people that didn't participate in those emotional outbursts, the, the rioting and the looting and everything else, you had a general structure of a lot of people in those same states, in those same cities, that were like, well... It, they're just protesting. It's it, they, just let them do whatever you know, let it get out of their system and blah 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 blah. I, I'm I'm I don't care. Just let it happen. Now, obviously, obviously, some of you are listening. They're like, hell no, I didn't want that to happen in my state and city and everything. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Not everybody supported what these folks were doing, and not everybody was okay with what these folks were doing. But how many people stepped up and did something about it? Almost no one. They just let it happen in these states and in these cities. All right? So there was this high level of emotion that was acceptable at the time. And this outburst at the time. And because of COVID, the fear and the emotion surrounding that, people acquiesced to authoritarian control and, and top-down control and, and governmental policies that maybe we wouldn't have we wouldn't have accepted in the past, but because of these certain situations, we'll, we'll accept it. But then we started rolling into 2021, and suddenly, well, a politically things changed, but a lot of people started seeing that okay, that type of behavior is not acceptable anymore. The Antifa's, the BLM's, it's not acceptable anymore. We did the we did the whole you know defund the police thing and and now we have more crime now we have more issues and and that's not acceptable anymore the emotional feel good of embracing a policy because it just emotionally felt good turned around and showed them that okay when it when we actually employ when we actually uh, put that on the landscape we, we actually defund our police and all of a sudden now you have trouble with crime. Oh, that didn't work. Well, now we're no longer going to accept the emotional cry of defund the police. No, we actually want our police back. We want our safety back. We want our security back. We want to know that we can go shop downtown or go to the grocery store or whatever and and be relatively safe. So all of a sudden, 2021, you start to see people having a shift in what they're willing to accept. We went this real hard to the you know emotional sensationalism and that was everything was okay to where now people are 2021 people are like nah, I don't know if that was good maybe we should tone it back and then we roll into 2022 to where the economy is starting to take a hit inflation is likely to go through the roof this covid crap bs is just getting ridiculous and now it's more and more every day becoming very clear that what a lot of us were saying was very true, where it was completely arbitrary and not based on science whatsoever. And so more and more people are starting to feel the negative effects of emotional decision-making. 
to where here we are rotating around in a, in a 2022 election year. There's a lot of people that are not happy with what their elected officials have been doing the past two years. There are a lot of people that are not happy with what their job is doing or not doing, what their income is doing or not doing, what their investments are doing or what they're not doing, what their retirement plan is doing or not doing. There's a lot, there's a growing number of people, even in some of these traditionally liberal states, that are becoming increasingly unhappy with what they've been seeing. To where when you take a look at it a couple months down the road here, we have a midterm election. Are some of these states going to still have a Democrat governor? And even if they did, because most of the time, if you have a Democrat governor and they are eligible for re-election. You're not going to run another Democrat against your own Democrat incumbent governor. It's going to just be a Republican governor or an independent governor. So it's not like you're going to, like California is going to elect in a, a, a lesser version of Gavin Newsom. No, it's either Gavin Newsom or maybe it's some other, some other guy, gal. Is Jared Polis, <clears throat> who, who's going to be the governor in Colorado, and and listen, I've been outside of 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 Western uh, politics for a while now. Jesus, Pete, I don't even know who's running in some of these uh, races. But is Jared Polis going to continue to be governor? Is are Jared Polis's picks for the Wildlife Commission going to be the same? Are Jared Polis's decision and pick for the director of the agencies? going to be the same? If, <clears throat> if we look at, so Colorado looks like we have a governor's race. We have Senate seats open. And we have House of Representatives seats open. Okay. Arizona, you've got a governor's race. Who Again, they've got a, a point. I, I believe you got a governor's race, don't you? Again, that governor is going to appoint pretty key people, you know, that have the responsibility for making decisions on wildlife issues, right? Obviously, you're going to have Senate seats and House seats available. Washington State is going to have Senate seats and House seats available. California, I think, is a governor's race. I think you got, and then you have state representatives and state senators that are going to be up, up, and up in the air. Are these states, a lot of these states right now, most of these states right now are dominated by a liberal, progressive, Democrat influence. But the liberal, progressive, Democrat influence has led many of these states into some of the troubles that people are identifying. And a lot of people and citizens in those states are looking at their elected officials going, I don't like the direction this is going. We need something to change. So does that mean we're going to flip some of these you know, House seats from Democrat and it's going to be Republican? Or are they going to just elect in a more moderate Democrat? Is the is the landscape politically in these states going to stay the same? Most people that are watching this are, are saying no. In many cases, a lot of these states might actually get shellacked and have massive change as far as the makeup of whether it's their governor or whether it's their state legislature. 
because people are not happy with a lot of things that they've been seeing these past couple of years. Enter HSUS. Enter Centers for Biological Diversity. Enter every other animal activist organization that's throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. Right now, we have liberal progressive governors in place that are sensitive to off a lot of what the animal activists are putting out. Those lib- liberal progressive governors have put commissioners, liberal progressive pro- commissioners in place. They've put directors of agencies in place that are generally sympathetic oftentimes more sympathetic to animal activists than maybe sportsmen or the quote unquote, you know, generic conservative mindset. All right. Value set. State legislatures are right now, most in many of these states are dominated by liberal progressive Democrats. Is that going to be the same when this midterm election is done? If it switches to where we just have more moderate Democrats, or quite honestly, if all of a sudden Republican ideology takes and sweeps some of these state houses and state senates, what is the likelihood that animal activist groups are going to have sympathetic ears to try to sway a wildlife commission, to try to sway a state legislature? And if the people are so pissed off at, at, you know, the top down authoritarian, you know, what's going on with the governor, how many people, and especially, especially they're getting pissed off from the negative effects of previous emotionally charged, emotionally driven decision-making. How likely are they to continue down the road of emotionally charged and emotionally based decision-making for say a ballot initiative? So when you're looking at, in my, this is just strictly my opinion. I think they're looking at the landscape of what's happened these past couple years. And quite honestly, I think they figured they had time. Here you got Biden in. And, and, and I say Biden loosely because everybody know, in my opinion, it's largely run by the, the Obama, the previous Obama administration. And so you have this really strong, hard, left, progressive ideology pushing the nation forward as far as policies go into where if, if things were going well under that progressive, uh, directed direction, I think you would see a lot of these things just kind of come out dribs and drabs, you know, little successes, little, little or not successes. They would put these HSUS at all would put these things forward, get a success, move on, get a success, move on, get a success. I think what you're seeing now is a mass panic. Don't, don't misconstrue what I just said. They know what they're doing. They're organized. They have money. They have a mechanism behind them. But I think it, the panic in my mind that, I'm, that, that I, I perceive is they know the writing could be on the wall. They know that after November of this year, the entire landscape, political landscape, wildlife commission landscape, state legislature landscape, state governorship landscape might be wildly different than what it is now. They have the potential to have sympathetic ears, sympathetic people that will, that will listen to them. Just make, you know, what, what do they say? Make hay while the sun is shining, right? Just, th- just get the shit out there. Just saturated. Go balls to the walls right now. And who, 
Who cares if they lose on 90% of it? At least try to get something through. Move the needle. That's the thing that separates the liberal progressive, the, the leftist progressive ideology, that postmodern leftist progressive ideology from the more conservative Democrat ideology and the conservative, even the, the more right-leaning conservative ideology in the fact that they don't care about the short term. It's long term. And they're always playing the long game. So if they just move the needle a little bit this year, fine. Okay, we still move the needle. If, if it's going to take a little few more years to move the needle again, okay, fine. We'll just, but they're just going to keep trying to move the needle. So if they throw 16 needles in the, in the bunch, so to speak, and five of them move forward, awesome. They got five forward in, in this little, okay, they didn't get all of them. Maybe they only got two. Maybe they only got three. They didn't get all of them, but damn well, they got a couple, didn't they? So they're just, I think that's what we're seeing right now. So we've got all sorts of stuff just still popping up left and right. And quite honestly, some of these are going to be, I think, excuse me, entered in late in session and some of these legislative stuff because they don't want a lot of time for debate. They don't want to leave a lot of time for sportsmen to become uh, activated. That's the other thing too is, Kate. And maybe maybe I move, maybe we I I, I, I switch um, gears here and talk about the sportsman response. I think you get the point. The midterm elections are going to be huge as far as shaping the landscape of of who is in charge and who's making decisions regarding laws, regulations, commission appointments, etc. Okay, makes sense. And the type of people they put get put on, put into those places. All right. And in the past couple years, it's it the the environment has been. I mean, again, look at the wolf issue. The environment was good. They still only eked out fifty one percent. They barely made that through, and which which again plays into what's going on with Colorado. They barely got the what they got the wolf thing through. They barely got it through, and so again, scramble. Try to make hay while the sun is shining. Get something else in there while the same type of ideological thinking in the mass public might be similar. Well, they weren't expecting, I don't think, the uprising of sportsmen pushback. And that's the thing, okay? Again, situational awareness. And, And quite honestly, this gets into the art of war. Sun Tzu's art of war. If you are the type of person now that has gotten fired up, you're motivated, you want to get politically active, you want to get out there and do something, you want to get out there and and make your your voice heard, okay, that's good that you want. I'm so happy that that's what you want to do and I applaud it and I welcome it because again, I've talked about it before where it was all I could do to pull teeth to, to try to get people to show up. The you know conservative-minded ideology, <clears throat> the process-oriented type of folks that wanted to preserve uh, our general way of life. It was it was like trying to pull teeth to get them to show up, even to, just to defend themselves. Let alone try to push you know favorable legislation or commission you know issues or whatever. <clears throat> but what I'm seeing is an emotional response that is quite honestly 
not to be, I'm not, I don't think I need to put my black hat on at this point, but I'm seeing a lot of emotional responses that are very similar to what the animal activists are doing or, or, or playing into or, or wanting to play into raw emotion, emotional, something that's going to trigger you emotionally and you react emotionally. And maybe in your emotional reaction, you're not thinking clearly and you're not formulating thoughts clearly and you're not playing the long game effectively you're you're not being as effective as you could be i'm listening to a lot of podcasts and i'm listening to a lot of statements by people that are the sportsmen that are pissed off and when i hear what they say they are you know they they say what they said to their their representative state representative or their state senator or their wildlife commission. I hear the rhetoric coming out of, you know, the, uh, of the angst against some of these wildlife commissions. The thing is, if you're going to, again, this is going to be a deeper conversation later. We are going to have to learn to play emotion. I'm sorry. We're going to, however, we need to be, we need to start being smart about it because if you look at the, what, what animal activists do when they trigger emotion, an animal activist will trigger empathy, sympathy, pity, sorrow, disgust, sadness. Okay? All of those emotions that just pour out from from inside you and quite honestly, it's it's an emotion that is, um, how do I want to put this? It attracts other, uh, how, do, oh, how do I want to put this? I didn't even think about it. I guess I didn't even think about how I wanted to, to articulate it. It pulls on the heartstrings and it gets people more people likely to listen to you all right or to do what you want them to do if you trigger all those type of emotions and then give you give them an easy thing that will alleviate all those bad sad remorseful empathetic sympathetic disgusting you know disgusted type of emotions people will latch onto it they will actively reach out and latch on to it. And you and you will see people get motivated to get other people motivated to latch on to that idea. However, what I'm hearing from a lot of the sportsman community right now is essentially a lot of emotion that is anger. Anger about what the activists are doing. Anger about what the commissioners are doing. Anger what what state legislatures might be doing. Anger at what governors are doing. Anger at what other vo- voters in the in the the community are doing. And their anger starts just building up and triggering. And the statements that come out in anger, they might be attractive and whip up the emotions of other like-minded people, but they don't attract. They, other people aren't reaching out and latching onto your idea. 
quite honestly, that anger and, and the rhetoric I'm hearing actually ends up being alienating in many cases to where the non-hunter or the, the, just the average general person on the landscape, they're faced with two emotional people on the landscape. On one side, there's this group that's highly emotional because they're sad, they're remorseful, they're disgusted by what they see, they're, they're empathetic of this plight, of this thing, and, and people are like, oh, I can identify with that, and, and man, I do, I, I feel drawn to that empathy. Versus on this other side, I've got this angry, irate group of people that are just slinging insults and, and saying all the things that they should do. They should be, have the right to do. They should need to do. And you can't do that. You should do that. You can't do that. How dare you? You have no right. Bubble. How attractive is of that is that style of emotional response to the average person? I can tell you right now from experience Working with controversial wildlife species, working again, like literally across the table from HSUS and other activists. If that is our response and that's what's going on, we're done because the average person is not going to rally to our cause if that's how we are. I, I can pull from many examples, but one of the best ones that we ever had when Kelly and I were, this is early to mid, probably middle 2000s, maybe close to 2010. Maybe it was close to 2010. Anyway, <clears throat> we were dealing with some wildlife issues on the front range of Colorado and it's dealing with blacktail prairie dogs, which if you don't know uh, about front range of Colorado, well, it doesn't matter from New Mexico to Colorado. Um, there is, you know, Blacktail prairie dogs fall under two categories. They fall under destructive rodent pests for some people, and then they fall into the category of the most valuable watchable wildlife in a suburban and urban context that you could ever hope to find. And so people do get very emotional, mostly attached to some prairie dog colonies. And the animal activists that are that are focused on blacktail prairie dogs and just prairie dogs in general will play on that emotion very, very well. All right. So you might have a situation in many cases we would be called in because here's a prairie dog colony in the middle of a town, in the middle of a subdivision, in the middle of a place that's going to be developed and, and there's prairie dogs there. The people in the community around there have fallen in love with watching the, the, the prairie dogs in the open space, but yet the developer or the city or whoever, somebody's going to come in and they want to get rid of those prairie dogs. Well, of course, there's going to be conflict. We're the people that come in and try to help navigate that entire thing. And so, of course, we have been the targets of animal activists, smear campaigns, and, and just picketing and protesting and everything else in some of these some of these situations. We had a particular project where there that's literally what it was. We had prairie dogs in an open space area along a riparian corridor, and the prairie dogs had gotten to the point where they were causing problems. And so they the 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 city wanted they needed to remove those prairie dogs and take them and just, we, they could not have them in this location because they were actually creating damage that was not allowable, you know, in that area. So we were called in to help out. All right. So here we go. And of course the animal activists just lost their ever love in mind and they ran some stuff in the paper. They got people whipped up and the whole nine yards. So here we are out on the landscape now. And they said some pretty, just hor- just horrific things about us. And we just, okay, whatever. It's the animal activists. You know, sometimes you have to address it. Other times you just let it go. You just, you, and that's the other thing too. 
some of this is nuanced, man. You, you just can't go out half cocked and start pissing people off. And that's the point of this discussion here because we were out on the site working. And one of the neighbors that was involved with some of the protest activity and involved with some of the, the rhetoric that was going on comes storming out of their house and we're in the public open space on the side of the road on the sidewalk. And here they come storming out of their house. And here they launch. Well, Kelly and I have been, we, we've been here, done that. And so we listened and we started having a conversation. We started talking about that. Everybody wants to focus on, on facts and logic. Okay. And this is going to come up later on. And I hope this comes up in the, in the podcast that uh, I, I alluded to that might happen at the end of the month. <clears throat> Everybody can talk about facts and logic all you want but the i and i've and i've i've made this statement before you cannot reason a man out of something they were never reasoned into okay you've heard me say that in other podcasts what does that mean you cannot reason a person out of something they were never reasoned into meaning if someone did not use reason logic, data, analyzed facts against other facts and and chose the lesser of two evils and, and, and picked the best path based on this evaluation of this, 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 and this. A series of facts and data. If someone made a decision, or more importantly, if someone developed a value set that was completely outside of that, Logics and logic and reason. There is no amount of logic and reason that you're going to give them that's going to change their mind. If they if they devalue if they evaluate or excuse me developed a value set or a belief, especially an action based off of emotion. The only thing that's going to get them to do something different is another equal opposite or greater an opposite emotional reaction. Jordan Peterson was talking to, uh, had a podcast recently with um, Sam Harris. And it, uh, the, the podcast is called, uh, it's, it's one of Jordan Peterson's recent one. It's, uh, the, the title of it is, is uh, Questioning Sam Harris. And if you listen to there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I, I will talk some more about that podcast and, and the, excuse me, the discussion. But in that, it, it was brilliant and it, and it tied into that. Sam Harris even said, if a person does not have a value for facts and logic, then no amount of facts and logic are going to convince them that they need to use facts and logic to, to evaluate or, or change a position or uh, develop a value set, what have you, whatever it is. If a person doesn't even value facts and logic, then no amount of facts and logic are going to convince them that they need to use facts and logic. And that is the fail, the, 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 this is the fundamental flaw in what I'm seeing right now with the bulk of sportsman activism right now. I'm not saying it's bad. Okay. Listen to me. I am so damn happy 
that we're seeing this upright, this up, this swell of, of people that are interested in engaging politically and with issues. And yes, depending on who you're talking to, you might be able to utilize facts and logic. Go ahead and, and talk about all the, the money that sportsmen raise. Go ahead and talk about the, the North American model of wildlife conservation. Go ahead and talk about all the, the, the facts of how many animals you know sportsmen have conserved and, and brought back from the, the brink of extinction. Go ahead and talk about the facts of, of harvest and, and sustainability and how many animals are taken versus how many are not. Go ahead and spew, talk about all the facts that you want, but you better be talking to someone that actually values facts and logic. Otherwise, all of your rhetoric is going to fall on deaf ears. So look at the successes we've the sportsman community has had so far. In front of wildlife commissions, the HSUS or animal activists put forth something before a wildlife commission. Sportsman rally. Sportsmen go in there and what did they do? What did most people do? They went in and just started piling on facts and logic, right? To who? The Wildlife Commission. Who or what? Supposed to be making decisions based on facts and logic. I'm not saying that some of these commissions don't engage in a lot of emotional decision making. No, some of them do. And certain commissioners will do that, or you know, commissioners or, or whoever's in, you know, the, the, the board is. Some of those people will. But the general premise on a lot of boards and commissions is we're supposed to evaluate a lot of things and we're supposed to make the best decision for everyone based on all these things, which means you're pulling different facts, different value sets, different arguments. You're taking all that data, you're processing it, and then you're putting it on the landscape in the form of a decision that's supposed to benefit the the broadest group of people in the best amount of best possible way. So when we're talking about going to a wildlife commission and you want to argue facts and logic, that makes sense. But you still darn well better understand who the, the commissioners are that you're talking to. Because some of those ones up there, if, if you have a commissioner that all she does or he does is lean on emotion, then you better have you better have a strategy that you can talk facts and logic. And then if they're the swing vote or if they're the, the, the chair of the group and they're the ones you know driving the discussion and driving who testifies and who doesn't, you better change your method of delivery of your information to to target their value set, their mindset. Likewise, we just went in, especially Colorado, the rally of sportsmen that went to the state legislature to, to oppose the HSUS at all push to, to ban mountain lion hunting, bobcat hunting, and lynx hunting, right? What, who, who, who did you go talk to? An ag committee a committee, a subset of the legislature, a subset of the legislature, and these people that are make up that committee were put on that committee because they are the ones that are supposed to, by charter of what the whole point of the committee is, they are supposed to go through and get the testimony, look at all the facts, look at all the alternatives, 
look at all the details, all the data. The committee is supposed to gather the first line of information. They're supposed to evaluate all that information. And then based on the information that they get, determine whether or not this particular issue, this particular bill, this particular whatever, has enough merit to go forth before the rest of the body of the legislature. And in their opinion, yes, it should move forward. But the committee, again, by charter, is supposed to, I'm not saying they always do, and I'm not saying that every individual in there does, but they are supposed to weigh facts and logic data, pull from multiple witnesses, testimony, value sets, ideas, opinions, and then they're supposed to evaluate that and make a decision. So when the sportsmen rallied at the Capitol in Washington, in Colorado, they were going before a committee that generally should and was supposed to listen to facts and logic. Now, part of the emotional success of some of that is, is if you have this upswelling of all these people that come and say, hell no, we don't want to do this. There is going to be that emotional trigger of, oh, hell, I don't know if I want to engage in this. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to put my name to this. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to put my, my career as a politician on the line for this, because if I go against this big, uh, if all these people are this angry and, and they don't want something and I'm going to say, nope, I disagree with all of you and I'm going to go forward with it, then that may come back to bite me in the ass later on when it's up, to, when it's time for my uh, election or more importantly, I can't move it forward now because the people on the committee with me don't support it. And I really don't give two rips about this issue, but I have another bill that has nothing to do with this that I really want. And I want these people to support me. So in this case, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with everybody else. I'm going to discount my emotion here, my value set and the animal activists. I'm going to vote against this particular bill because there was all this motion, this momentum against it. And all these other people on the committee are, are, are moving against it. I might just go against it because I want their support on something else later. It's a game, man. It's a game. And if you are just going to act like a bull in a china shop and just go charge in and just start sh- just tearing everything down, there are going to be some that listen to you. There are going to be others that bristle and push you away. And there's some that you're just going to fall on deaf ears because you're not speaking to them within the framework of their value set. So when I listen to people getting pissed off about wildlife commissions, and be, let, let, let me just let, let me just tackle that one a minute. I just I literally just heard this the other day on on a, on a podcast, and I'm not I'm not going to name names because the person is genuinely passionate about sportsman issues, and it it it, it means something to them, and, I, and I'm not discounting that. But the statement I'm listening to the. the the, the, the rhetoric coming out of their mouth of, you know, these wildlife commissioners, we got to get rid of these commissioners. I mean, how dare they? They have no right to make these decisions, you know, do this and do that. Who the, they have no right to do this and they have no right to do that. And there, there was, we got to get rid of these. But I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, seriously, man, what the hell are you talking about? I know you're emotional, but get your freaking stop. Get your head screwed on straight. 
take a breath and think about this a minute. The, the commission has no right to make a decision that maybe moves in a, in a direction you don't like. Uh, I'm sorry, but you are incorrect, sir. Because quite honestly, the Wildlife Commission absolutely has the right. It is literally their right. It is their charge from the state legislature as far as the entire hierarchy of how decisions are done. It is literally their charge. That's what they are there to do. It is the essential right of them to do that. The governor appoints these people to literally make these decisions. It is their purview. It is their right to make decisions based on what they believe, what they hear, the testimonies they receive, the facts and data they get from the state agency, or maybe they could just disregard all of it and just make a freaking bullshit emotional decision based on their opinion. But guess what? We don't have to like it, but you damn well have to respect it because it is literally their right. You want to know who doesn't have a right? You, the sportsman, about all you have a right to do is provide a comment. That's literally the only right you have. Because guess what? Unless your state legislature and your 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 citizenry of your state has codified in the state constitution, or by and quite honestly, I would say the state constitution, but unless you have codified in your state that hunting is in fact a right. You don't have rights. You have privileges, my friend. You have privileges. And quite honestly, even in the, if the situation is where your state has it codified as you have the right to hunt, that doesn't mean you have the right to hunt everything, whenever, wherever, and however. You can't go out there and get a bag full, you know, a, 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 a vest full of, of Rob, American Robins. You can't go out and shoot them. You can't go out west and, and shoot a whole bunch of bag full of meadow larks. I can't go out and shoot a whole bunch of hawks and eagles, can I? No. You don't have the right to just do whatever the hell you want to. No. You have privileges, the privilege of hunting. The If, if it is managed, again, not every state has said it's a right. No. It is literally a managed opportunity based on a set of privileges based on whatever the state in the state agency and the wildlife agency has deemed are game species, non-game species, etc. So when I listen to sportsmen just going off and especially sportsmen that are, that are going to, they're going to make public comment like that, man, I talk about this all the time with elk hunting people get upset about running into other people on the mountain and, and hunter crowding and I've said all the time I would rather run into 10 people 20 people I don't care I'd rather run into a whole bunch of people that knew what the hell they were doing than one person that didn't one person that has no idea what they're doing or, or the impact that they're having on the landscape landscape can do more damage in a mountain, a valley, or a ridge system, or whatever, than 10 people that 
know what they're doing and know how to insert and and, and remove themselves and just strategically, you know, like a scalpel, just come in and, and work. You can have 10 people in, a, in an area and never have a conflict at all between each other and never disrupt the elk population in that region to the where you can't perform. But you damn well can have one person come in and do it and screw the whole freaking thing. With regard to a lot of what I'm seeing lately with a lot of wild uh, 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 sportsman engagement, again, I'm going to reiterate this, and I mean it with every fiber of my being. I am so damn happy to see we now have the podcasts, so many good podcasts talking about political issues right now that, I mean, we're literally, again, Blood Origins is phenomenal. They are on it, man. I mean, and now especially... It'll be interesting. This would be an interesting part of the conversation too. Um, that are do they see themselves getting pigeonholed into political activism? Because quite honestly, they 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 broke the gate in on some of this stuff, and they've been talking about some of this stuff to where now they're just getting flooded with all sorts of stuff going on. To where now um, that's a lot of what they're talking about is is a lot of political active you know uh, uh, activities going on, and they're rallying people, which is awesome. You've got you know the you know the uh, folks like Sportsman uh, Sportsman's Alliance, phenomenal group, phenomenal. They're doing phenomenal work. Okay, uh, Coloradans for responsible uh, species conservation, or, or no, sorry, that was the that was a different group that I was uh, that was actually a precursor. Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Um, another great, great group. Uh, you know, the the guys from the, you know, Howl for Wildlife. I, I like the platform that they've built to make it easy for you to, to chime in on some of this stuff. Now, again, this is going to be a different discussion. I'll just bring it up as a, as a, as a something, a bug in your ear to think about. Because one of the things too is, a lot of so when we have this national awareness about what's going on in Colorado or California or Arizona or Washington or Oregon or New Hampshire or where I don't care a lot of the people now are talking about getting involved and, and write the commissioners write the write the legislators write the governor blah 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 all these people and Some of the new mechanisms for being able to get involved make it easy for anybody to do that. The other flip side that you have to remember, though, too, and and again, this is going to be a bigger discussion. There are some that say, if I live in Colorado, I should still go ahead and, and send in public comment in Washington and just bombard them. Just, 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 just gang pile on and just, we, we, we flood, you know, the, the, the decision makers in Washington state, uh, on this issue. And then we all rally again and we all go over and we flood what's going, excuse me, what's going on in, in, in California. And the argument that I've heard is that, well, that's what the animal activists do. The animal activists rally and, and, and there's, there's some little old lady, you know, having, you know, tea in Connecticut who's, who's. You know, she's chiming in on on these issues and that issues. Okay, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Not so fast. Again, we can have a longer discussion about the North American model of wildlife conservation. 
But one of the things, tenets of that program is that the stewardship, that wildlife belongs to the people of the state. The people of the state. Not the sportsmen. Not the people who pay for it. All people of the state. For the benefit, for for the use and benefit of all people of the state. Now, I like the fact that use is in there, okay? And that's one thing that's being whittled away at. But it's the use and benefit of all citizens of the state. It does not say it's for the benefit, for the use and the benefit of all people of the United States or North America. It's for the people of the state. So when we're talking about me living in Kansas, chiming in, you know, people are, did you chime in on stuff? I did send in comments on some things because I buy a license in Colorado. I've actually hunted in certain places. I've hunted certain species in certain places. I have, I'm always buying a license in the, so I'm spending my money in Colorado and I have either been there or or had family and friends that have hunted in some of the places that have been affected. So like the unit 80 and 81. Yeah, I've, I, I've hunted down there and I've got family and friends that, that have hunted there in the past. So I have direct knowledge of those areas and those areas changing from over the counter to limited license to limited draw does affect, could, could affect me and my family and friends if we ever decided we wanted to end up going back there. And I've spent money every year in Colorado. So I do have a little bit of input that I think is relevant for the decision makers in Colorado because I spend non-resident dollars in Colorado. So I am spending money and I'm and that's just for the license, let alone the fuel, the food, you know, if I'm going to restaurants, I'm going to a laundromat or whatever, I'm spending money in the communities in that state. Guess where I don't spend money? Washington state, California. I do spend money in Arizona, but minimally and I don't spend any time or any anything uh, regarding mountain lions, all right, or bears down in Arizona. So one thing that people do forget is that depending on who you're talking to, whether it's a wildlife commission or whether it's a state legislature, sometimes the, the overwhelming uh, swell of public comment gets to the point where they, they just don't care. They're, they're just going to take the public comment and it's going to go through. But there are also times when you will actually have commissioners. You will have state legislators flat, flat out point blank ask, what is your address? What is your zip code? Are you actually a resident of this particular state? Do you have standing? We people, you can talk about having standing in court cases. You, you can't just go sue somebody or some state agency or whatever because I don't like what you did. No, you can only sue if you have what's called standing. Were you affected? Does this direct, does this actually affect you? And are you engaged in some semblance with state activity? Are you a relevant player? Or if you are you just some Joe Schmedley that means nothing to, again, the, the wildlife belongs to the people 
of the state. Now, most states have authorized non-resident licenses to be sold. And so non-residents of the state can engage in wildlife activities in the state on a whatever managed basis. So do you have relevance to stand here before this commission? Do you have actual relevance to stand before this legislature and provide your comment? Or are you somebody that I don't give two rips about? So if you're going to provide public comment and you're going to say, oh, we're going to, we're going to rally and we're going to go Washington State and bombard them, do not, don't ever, don't discount that at some point someone might say, how many of these people are actually residents of, of Washington? How many of these are actual license holders in Washington? Because if they're not, I don't give two rips about what they what they think. And it's their right. It is literally their right to say that because they're charged with managing for the interests of the state and their people. Us non-residents that spend money there, we have a tiny little sliver of 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 relevancy there now depending on the state colorado non-residents okay non-residents actually make up a pretty sizable chunk of this of the state budget for the the wildlife agency so probably non-residents have a little bit more of a say but you go to a place like like arizona if they're gonna have there if they're gonna talk about an elk issue how much does a non-resident interest really have a hell of a lot less than probably colorado does so all these, I've, I've heard people say, well, we're going to flood other states with our comments because that's what the animal activists do. Not necessarily. No. You have to separate federal issues versus state issues. And so if we're talking about federal lands management, you're damn right you're going to have some little old lady in Connecticut who's sipping on tea chime in on Alaska national, you know, Alaska public land, federal lands up in Alaska issue, or she's going to chime in on what's going on in the Oregon coast for logging or whatever. She's going to chime in on something that's going on with wolves around Yellowstone or the national forests around that. If we're talking about a federal lands issue, then that every person that is a citizen of the United States, and at this point, it probably doesn't even matter if you're a citizen with the way this late it doesn't matter sorry moving on it involves every citizen of the united states every citizen of the united states has equal say and this has come up in sportsman issues in the past where people get pissed off and i'm i'm with them i'm absolutely with them i do not like the federal oversight of of federal public lands I'm one of those ones that would love to explore to see how, how maybe we could have state management of federal lands. Now, I know that one's going to freaking throw a bunch of you right through the freaking roof. And I love it. It's like a salad spinner. A frick, anyway, just stir you up. Awesome. Good. We can have that discussion later. But regardless, the problem with federal lands and, and the way it's set up is, yes, a little old lady in Connecticut can have absolutely have just as much say of what happens in the Pike National Forest in Colorado or, or where, I don't care where it is on whatever federal public land as someone who lives there that makes it, again, and this was the other one. This was another, there were some outfitters that were talking about this and, and they were pissed off about you know, their livelihood and everything else. Who gives a rip about your livelihood? 
What does a little old lady in Connecticut give two shits about your livelihood if she doesn't have a value for what your livelihood is? If you're going out there and slaying and mutilating and killing and just trophy hunting all these these, these beautiful, innocent, sentient animals that have done nothing to you, you stupid, ignorant, backwards piece of shit that's going out there and just slaughtering these animals. I give zero shits if you're out there, you know, she saying this in her mind, give zero shits if you're out there making your money by taking people out there and and, and killing wildlife. You're no better than a, a modern day market hunter. Which we, which, 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 by the way, you sit there and you say, and you claim that you stand on the, the, the North American model of wildlife conservation. We got rid of market hunting back in the day because it was despicable and it was driving people, animals to extinction. And that's what you're doing, you evil outfitter. I don't have to agree with her. And I don't agree with her. But if she's going to have that value set and that emotional value set, who gives a rip if you're an outfitter? But guess what? When we're talking about federal public lands and issues that have to deal with federal issues, guess what? Her vote is just as legitimate as your vote. And it all comes down to who makes the most who makes the most compelling case as to who is going to be listened to and who's going to be not. Who's going to be embraced? and their ideology embraced, and whose ideology is going to be shunned and pushed away. All right? But in a statewide situation, do not overlook the fact that you absolutely could have commissioners and legislatures, legislators, excuse me, start asking very strong questions of, okay, I just got this public comment in. Where are they from? Oh, they're, they're they're not even constituent. And they're just talking generally. <laughs> Crinkle it up, throw it in the wastebasket. Done. I don't give a crap. You're not one of my constituents. You have no in- interest in this state. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, but Chris, but that's what the animal activists do. No. No. Most Sometimes maybe they do. Maybe in California they do because California probably doesn't give a crap. Same thing with Washington. Whatever. But no. I've been to enough meetings and I've sat and listened to them enough times to where, no, if it's a federal issue, yes, they will just gang pile. But if it's a state issue, it's not uncommon to hear them walk in to do their testimony or when they provide written testimony, they say, this is who we are. We represent this many people across, you know, say the night, we've got this many members in North America. And we represent the 25,000 people that are members of this particular state. Ah, what did they do? Went through and said, how many of our membership is in this state? Okay, we've got 5,000. We've got 10,000. We've got 25,000, whatever it is. Now we have standing. Now we're relevant because these people that are part of our group who we are speaking for live here, are affected by policy in this state. So we, on behalf of this 5,000, 10,000, 25,000, whatever, on behalf of these members who live here, 
we are going to come in and petition for such and such, put on a ballot such and such. We're going to at, we're going to go to a commission and, and at re- request a change in regulations, or we're going to go to a legislature and we're going to propose a bill. We have standing through our state members, members. But oh, by the way, these 10, 5, 10, 25, whatever, these members in the state, they feel just like these, you know, 100,000 members, million members of the rest of the of the United States and North America. So these 25, let's just say 25,000, let's just say 5,000, let's say 5,000. These 5,000 members are in your state and we are speaking on behalf of them, but they have the same ideology as this million members. We are a massive body and this is a massive movement and this ideology that we have and this belief and this structure and this value set that we have is, in our minds, mainstream and this is where everybody is going and this is what should be. This is what's righteous and all these people across North America and the United States are all in this together and these 5,000 people give us standing from which to approach. They're not stupid, people. Animal activist groups are not stupid. You don't have to like them. I said this before in another podcast. I, maybe it was Stickbo or maybe it was somebody else. I don't remember what which, which one it was. You don't have to like them. You don't have to agree with them. Hell, you can hate them. I don't give a shit. You can do whatever you want. But guess, guess what you're gonna what, what you're gonna do? Okay? You don't have... You don't have to agree. You don't have to alike. But what what will you do? What do you do? You have to you have to live with and swallow and put up with every freaking thing that they get successfully through. So, rather than being emotion, being emotional, I would ask from experience and and quite, okay. Let me let me. I'm going to ask you to be wise in how you engage and try to put yourself, try to understand who you're talking to. Do I have standing in this situation? Do do I live in the state? Do I have, have I spent money in the state or not? If you want to just provide public comment and send it in there and see if you get away with it, go for it. But if it gets thrown out, don't be mad. If you, if you have no standing in that, if you have no relevancy for the state discussion. Okay. Just understand that. They don't have to listen to you because, again, under the North American model of wildlife conservation that you say you champion, states manage the wildlife within the confines of the state for the use and benefit of the people of the state, not some Joe Schmedley. Now, granted, I'm just saying, be be smart. You can be fired up. You can be mad. You can, you can, all, all the things. You can, all those things. Yes. But you've got to spend some time understanding who you're communicating with. Understand that everybody wants to say that HSUS is, is the enemy. I, I actually thought about doing a podcast where I just, the whole thing was just me and the black hat and HSUS isn't your enemy. <laughs> I can make that argument. And I don't think people would be very comfortable with that argument. But regardless, we'll see if that. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe the maybe the maybe the discussion at the end of the month is going to turn into that. Might be fun. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, uh, 
This is where I said, if, okay, if you want to look at these people as, quote unquote, your ideological enemy, you better take some lessons from Sun Tzu, the art of war. If you think you're at war, this is why I said what I said last week as far as a skirmish. We, sportsmen did not win the war in, in Colorado. Hell, we didn't even win a battle uh, for the mountain lion issue in Colorado. We, we won a skirmish. That's about it, in my opinion. Trust me when I say that it wouldn't surprise me if this thing rears its ugly head back again at some point later down the road and we will have to go to war or at least fight a, a, a knockdown drag out battle, okay? But if you're going to do that, then then learn some of that. Learn, learn the art of war, how to engage the quote-unquote ideological, you know, he's talking about, you know, in that book, it's about actual enemies, killing, <laughs> killing actual enemies. When your enemy's strong, or when when yeah it doesn't matter when you're strong act weak when you're weak act strong all right be smart about understanding all of the aspects of the enemy and how to exploit their weaknesses how to over how to to portray yourself as stronger than maybe you are because again we're not that's the other thing too a lot of, i've heard so many comments and, I, and I've, I've i've talked to a few of you you're not going to beat them. You're, you're not going to get rid of HSUS. You're not going to get rid of Center for Biological Diversity. <coughs> you're not going to get rid of these animal activists. And quite honestly, and, and again, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on this because this could be a complete discussion in itself. I will argue you don't want to. We need them. I know you're sitting there going, what the hell are you talking about, Ro? I'm sorry, we do. We we need them. And maybe we'll we'll table that. If if people want me to, I'll, I'll talk about that later on. We actually need them. We're, ne- we're never going to get rid of them. And quite honestly, some of, uh, some of what they're bringing to the table is actually constructive and beneficial. And it makes us better. Again, the 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 battlefield of ideas is one with regard to the non-consumptive, the, the neutral person. Oh, shoot. Oh, my gosh. I completely... I, okay, so there you go. <laughs> what a segue. Woo! That was unintentional, but here's a segue. So I was talking about <laughs> the prairie dog issue back before in that particular city. Here's a, perf- here's a perfect segue, and actually, it'll be a perfect wrap-up. Wow. That was almost like I meant to do it. Um, So I was talking about... Uh, Okay, so so the battlefield of ideas is the non-consumptive user, the non-hunter, the Joe Schmedley average citizen who, quite frankly, doesn't generally spend a lot of time thinking about wildlife and or natural resources issues on a day-to-day. They, they, it's, it's just generally not in their wheelhouse. That doesn't mean that they won't be temporarily periodically intrigued by issues and curious by issues or even triggered by the rhetoric around issues. But in general speak, in their general day-to-day, they're not wrapped up in wildlife issues. What's going on with mountain lions or mule deer or mountain goats or whatever. All right. Obviously, sportsmen, we are. Everything we, a lot of us do is is that's our number one focus. But the average person that's a non-consumptive, non-hunting user or citizen, they're not they're not focused on it. Okay, that is where the battlefield of ideas is won. 
all right? And it's going to be how we engage them and how they perceive us engaging others that is either going to win them over to our side or are going to alienate our position and have them going to the other side. And the, again, <clears throat> this is where I was talking about that project in Colorado. And this is not one isolated situation. This happens repeatedly. But this was a beautiful example simply because of what these individuals did. So we were being protested. We were being slandered. We were being, uh, the the city was being pressured to drop the, the project, stop the project, blah, 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 all the above. And there was a couple of people in the neighborhood that decided they were going to jump in on the animal activist side and just say and act um, in very unprofessional, egregious ways. So here we are one day, we're out on the project site and all of a sudden here come a couple people down the sidewalk and you can just tell by the way they're walking, here they come. We're like, nope, all right, get ready because this is going to be a confrontation. Boom, 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 they're come marching down and here here we go. And they come up, they start talking and of course it's the arms crossed. It's either, it's either the arms crossed in front of the chest or it's the hands on the hips. Either one, either one. You got somebody with the hands on the hips and they're, and they're, they're, chewing at you or their arms are crossed and they're chewing at you. And so here they go. They launch in. They were unhappy with what's going on. They were unhappy with who we were and all they heard about us and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, hold on a minute. So we sat and listened to them and we started to engage them. We had started talking. We started saying, okay, I understand where you're coming from. I understand this and this and this. But just understand in this case, these guys were, and I just, we started outlining, we started explaining and we started having a conversation and we started listening. What is your value set? I understand that you like this. I understand that you want to see the prairie dogs here. I understand that you like, you know, we started to identify with them. We listened to them. We start, we didn't agree with them at all, but we listened, we identified their value set. And then as we interjected and we, we started having a conversation we started the conversation within the framework of their value set and their perceptions. And we got in, I think we were talking for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And then literally, now these people had put stuff in the paper. They were part of the, the protest. I mean, they were, they were all in, man. They were all in on anti, our businesses, row ecological services. Okay. So they were all in in on just hating on our business and who Chris and Kelly Rowe are. We are the, we are the despicable people, blah, 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 blah. I think we were 10 to 15 minutes in that conversation. And I'll never forget this. The man that was talking, he all just, just stops. And he's like, you know, I was really hoping you guys were going to be assholes. And I just, we're like, what? He's like, I was, I, I really wanted you guys to be assholes. Because, you know, you know, you guys are really reasonable, and and you know, I didn't think about this, and and you know, I, you know, you guys make some good points, and you know, I I I did I didn't really think, and here he starts going. He still doesn't like what's happening, but because we engaged him with them, there was more than one, but he was the the kind of the one that was taking the lead here. We engaged them within their value set. We listened to them. We did not agree with them. We don't have to agree with them to hear them. 
We don't have to agree with their value set to identify and understand their value set. But if you want to change the hearts and minds of people that are against you, that, are, that, are, that, that you think are your enemy, you better damn well be able to communicate to their value set. And so by doing that with them, he lit, just, I mean, it was like just shutting off a switch. Click. Man, I was really hoping you guys are going to be assholes. Because essentially, I, I can't be mad at you now. And you made some good points. And you've listened to my concerns and, and you, you've addressed my concerns in a way that makes sense to me that I listen to because I have a value for how you put that. And, and now I see that you're not the people I thought you were. And, and, and now I understand what this project is doing and I understand what's going on and I understand how you're doing it. And quite honestly, that's really awesome and it makes sense. And now I understand that what I hear, I heard and I bought into from the animal activists was not true. It was a lie. And, and now, and here's the big part. This is why I'll never forget that. He apologized. They all, they, the people there, they, they apologized and they went about their way. But here's the greatest thing about it. Not only did they go about their way, they went and talked to the people in the community and shared their experience with us. And overnight, all the community hostility immediately disappeared. And to their credit, and I, to, I wish I remember their names because I would, I would give them the kudos that they deserve. These people had the, 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 the maturity and integrity they put a new opinion piece in the paper saying um, we were wrong. And, the, and Roe Ecological Services and Chris and Kelly Roe, they're really good people. And, and now that we know what's going on and how they're doing it and what's going this is this makes sense. And this is little, this is, this is the best, this is what needs to happen in the community. And these guys are doing it in the best possible way. And they are doing a great job and they're good people. And we apologize overnight. Boom. Gone. The, the protest up, the animal activists just basically, they, you could just see the whole thing. They're like, ah, shit. And they just, ah, fine. Whatever. And just whoop. Gone. Not because we went to a city council meeting and spewed hatred and anger back at the activists. Not because we looked at the picketers, flipped them off with a middle finger and said, ah, blankety blank, you screw up. We engaged their value set. And we engaged with empathy. We did not agree with them. On, on the... On how and what they originally wanted, we did not agree with them. But we agreed on the optics, and we agreed on certain. There were certain things that yes, we could agree on. But we did not have to buy into all of it, and we did not have to agree with all of it, and we still stuck with what we needed to do. And this is what's going to happen. This is why this needs to happen. This is why it's righteous that it's happening, and this is why we're doing it in this certain way that is the best for everyone. 
I'm telling you, there's been numerous study or uh, surveys, uh, especially in Colorado along the Front Range, about basically human dimensions and and value sets and, and ideas on controversial topics. And the thing that we've repeatedly seen, and whether we're standing in front of a, a city council, whether we're standing in front of a, a development board, uh, it, it doesn't matter. A, a, a commission. The vast majority of people don't don't put their mindset. They're not consumed day to day with issues of wildlife and hunting or non or consumptive use or whatever. But if they get pulled into it by the media, by uh, just newspaper articles or just what, if they get pulled into it for some reason, they're going to listen to the people that seem to be the most reasonable. Not the most, the people that have the most facts, not the people that have the most data, not the, that are using the most logic, the most reasonable. And when you're talking about people that are the most reasonable, that is a combination of maybe facts and logic and data, but also emotion. Reasonable. That is what I would really hope as this new upswell of sportsman advocacy starts to take off. That we remember to be as effective as we can. We cannot be angry. We cannot we can get fired up and motivated by our anger and our emotion. But when we comment, when we put our ideas on the landscape, when we engage, I don't care about engaging the activists. They're not the ones we have to convince. We need to convince the people that are just that 80%, you know, and there's some argument on numbers, but the vast majority and the 80%, and I say 80% because a lot of surveys that I've seen ends up being somewhere around that, you know, 79 to 85 to 87%. So I just say 80%, okay? 80% of the public just wants to make the most reasonable decision given all the con- all the considerations, the emotional considerations as well as facts and logic. So do not discount the emotion. Do not discount empathy, respect, consideration of other people's viewpoints, you don't have to agree with them, but do not discount them. And if you can actually account for them, incorporate them into why you have a value set and 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 an emotional uh, tie to a certain issue. And then because with, with that emotional tie, you can bring in facts and logic and statistics and data that help support your emotional position, you're going to be so much more effective. So much more effective. But people, but sportsmen, man, you, you, again, I, that, that's the thing. I was once you, okay? I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to lecture you as in like, I'm the old man saying you damn whippersnappers and, and shaking my, my finger at the, at the script, at the, the microphone. Because I was that person in a way when I was, you know, first started getting politically active. I was the firebrand. I was the person that I walked in the room and people were like, Fuck, yeah, here's Chris Rowe. But it, I hope, I hope, I, my perception and, and the feedback that I've gotten over the years, and especially to some some of my most influential uh, mentors in that political arena, people knew that when I walked in the room, 
I was there for two reasons. There better be open, righteous, transparent, public process. Righteous public process. No backroom deals. No secret little blah, 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 blah. No handshakes. No, we're going to have a public meeting to discuss this, to get input. But oh, we've already made the decision. We're just going to do this dog and pony show to, you know, because by law, by by statute, we have to hold X number of public meetings. We don't give a shit. We've already made the decision in the first go. And now we've got to go through three steps to just to go through this dog and pony show. We're going to come out the other end anyway. It doesn't matter what anybody you know puts forth as far as their, their public comment or their value sets or anything else. It doesn't matter if no one wants to do what we want to do. We're just going to do it anyway. Number one, that, no. Chris Rowe never stood for that. And I would always fight against that. Number two, the leftist progressive sportsman groups out there that would go into and and try to affect public policy with their far leftist progressive ideology but then when they gave public testimony, they would come in there and say, the sportsmen of Colorado want X, Y, Z. The hell they do. Because I, I I talk to and I know a hell of a lot of other people out there that don't want anything to do with that that mindset, that policy direction, that, that management or regulatory direction. You're going to come up there and you're going to use your platform. You're, and I... I yeah, I, I always talk about the Council of Dictators. A lot of these nonprofit organizations and some of these sportsman organizations, <clears throat> they get elected by the, their membership and they never talk to their membership ever again after that. They they believe that it's up to the membership to show up to a board meeting and, and make their, their or, or chime in with an email or whatever and make their voices heard rather than the board of directors reaching out to their membership and finding out what should be done or, or a direction they should take. And so oftentimes you'll get these, these situations where these sportsmen's community or sportsmen's organizations and you get this board of directors and it's a council of dictators. They just do whatever the hell they want. And the, the membership doesn't even know what message is being taken forward at the state's legislature or before the commission or in backroom private discussions with other you know people. That was the other one. I'm like, nope, hell no. You're not going to show up at a meeting with no notification to the sportsman community whatsoever. Now, granted, remember, we're talking about early 2000s through to the mid-2010s. We didn't have social media back then. We didn't have the network. We didn't have podcasts back then. We didn't have the network of, of mobilizing people and then motivating people and then getting the, in, in, uh, the information out. So it was more difficult back, quote-unquote, back in the day. Okay? So... You'd have these organizations show up and they're like, this is what we, I, I remember one to this day. Oh my gosh, did I piss some people off. Woo, Chris was not, wow, was I not popular. So this is back when climate change was first rearing its ugly head and everybody was jumping on the bandwagon of, um, you know, cap and trade legislation and what are we going to do about climate change and blah, 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 blah. Well, all of a sudden, a handful, and I'm not going to name their names because I don't think they have the same positions these days. I mean, everybody's allowed to make a mistake and move on. But there was a handful of, of conservation organizations, sportsman-based conservation organizations that signed on to this thing, this document called Season's End. It was the biggest piece of shit propaganda bullshit I've ever seen in my life. Excuse my language. I sat there and flipped through. I'm like, shut up. Because you sit there and you look through this this document, that this this this. I, whatever you call it, I, booklet of, of all these different organizations saying why climate change is a threat, 
and why we need to have you know uh, this comprehensive global you know national and global strategy to attack climate change <coughs> and why we need to collect all these taxes and why we need all this money and then when you looked at what they were asking for they were asking for the da- the same damn mission statement and projects that they had from their inception so one of the organizations has to do with fishing uh, fisheries and i used to be a member of that organization when i was a freaking kid back in the 80s and 90s and the mission statement back then and what they wanted to accomplish with streams is the same damn thing that was back in the 90s which was the same damn thing in the 2000s and it was the same damn thing that they were writing in this stupid freaking season end booklet so what the hell are you talking about climate changes you know this is you, we need to enact these things with climate change because this these are the threats now that we're dealing with. it's the same damn threats you had 20 years ago man all it was was a fundraiser they wanted to jump in on this this cap and trade deal where globally and, and nationally we were going to collect we were going to tax oil and gas through the freaking uh, through the nose. All of us were going to have to pay exorbitant costs for oil and gas and fueling up at the pump, and then for what a fifty million dollar pot of money at the federal level. If I remember right, it was fifty million dollars at the federal level that was going to be able to be doled out as grants to different states and different nonprofit organizations. Everybody would lost their minds thinking, oh, this would be great. $50 million. We get it. No, 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 no. $50 million. You're losing your shit and, and you're making this big plea for every sportsman to get on board with, with this, this idea of taxing the ever-living shit out of oil and gas and the working man so that we have a chance, a chance at getting money out of this $50 million pot. Well, uh, let's start running the numbers here, shall we, organizations? So there's 50 million. Huh, that seems like there's 50. Oh, wait, that's right. There's 50 states in the United States. Let's not even talk about Puerto Rico. There's 50 states. Okay, so if we just dole out the money evenly, that's a million dollars per state. Okay, well, a million dollars per state, that that might be nice. Well, but all but it's not per state. It's also the nonprofit organizations, everybody that wants a piece of that. And it's not just the sportsman community. It's the Greenpeace type of people. It's the Sierra Club type of people. It's the nonprofit organizations. Literally, I sat on the working group, the statewide working group for Colorado for climate change for like, a, I don't remember how many weeks. And then the thing just fragmented and disappeared because it was ridiculous. Why? All of us that sat there and listened to the, the working group, the vast majority, I think it was like seven out of 10 ideas that were put forth were by organizations that were doing research, looking at the previous researcher research of other researchers. Did you, you heard that correct? They wanted to, they wanted money so that their organization could pay their employees to research the other research that other researchers had previously done. Are you freaking kidding me? You want to talk about not moving the needle and just freaking doing a circle jerk of just greasing everybody's palms. I'm going to give you money so you can research and then you can hire me and I'll research and we'll just, we'll just happily research. So we're going to, we're going to take that million dollars that maybe the state got and then eight, 10, 20 different organizations are going to uh, apply for a grant. Of course, the state is going to give that grant money out to multiple people. So how much money are we actually talking for on the ground, moving the needle as far as building resiliency on the landscape? Are we talking about $50,000? $100,000? Great. 
$100,000 for a particular project might be awesome. But again, at what cost? If I can't afford fuel in my, because again, this is what I talked about all the time. And you probably heard me talk about this before. You don't see many sportsmen driving their four horse trailer or their camper or their whatever up the mountain with a Prius. It's a freaking pickup truck or an SUV. Guess what? If you're, you're running a pickup truck or you run an SUV, I'm guessing it's going to drink fuel. Especially if you got a four horse trailer hooked up to it or a big ass foot, you know, fifth wheel with a, with a toy hauler behind it. You're going to be running fuel. So I don't care. Maybe, maybe, and this wasn't determined, but maybe you don't really care about whether a hundred thousand dollars gets put on the ground for this particular project. If no one in your sportsman community can afford to pay the gas to go hunting. And quite honestly, we saw this back in the day when gas prices went through the roof and became stupid. It became extremely difficult for these same organizations to maintain membership because people did not have free disposable income. So you're going to, you're, you so you, these organizations are going to advocate for the massive taxation of their own members to the point where it creates financial instability in the, in their members' families to where it makes free disposable income less likely to where they're not going to be able to get the membership. They're not going to go to a banquet and bid on things like they ever did. They're not going to go and and they can't even spend time hunting like they did. I'm sorry. I oppose that idea. I think if we want to have a discussion about moving the needle on building resiliency on the landscape in the face of global climate change, blah, 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 we have a different discussion, but no, 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 no. These groups that put together this booklet, this, this season's end, got to meet, well, had thought they'd gotten a meeting with a governor at the time. And they were going to go in and have a meeting with a governor and advocate for, and, and no, they were, the meeting was supposed to be for the, to the governor sportsman's groups. were going to go have a meeting <clears throat> here. I am going to lose my voice. Sportsmen were going to go have sportsmen's groups. We're going to go have a meeting with the governor to talk about what could be done in the face of climate change. Because I was elected at the time as the statewide uh, sportsman's advisory group representative, I found out about the meeting and I said, hey, I'm coming along with. And they were like, yes, thinking that I was going to be part of the group. And so here we go at the state capitol. We go down in one of the meeting rooms sit there and, and waiting for the governor and everybody's sitting around all the, the, the veritable who's who of the big national and state uh, conservation groups and chitter chatter, chitter chatter, chitter chatter, chitter chatter, chitter chatter, small talk, typical stuff that you do in, a, in the beginning of a meeting. And then all of a sudden the governor's assistant comes in. So the governor never met us. Um, it was just a governor's assistant came in to listen to what we had to say. <clears throat> and I just sat there in just utter, utter disbelief as I listened and every single person around the, t- I was the last one to speak. And at this point, I think I was just the way it went around the room. <clears throat> I think that's, I just by default, I was the last one to speak or else I was the last one that ended up speaking because after I got done speaking, I tanked the entire meeting. Regardless, <clears throat> I sat there and I listened to these people talk about, oh yeah, yeah, we need to do these things. We need to do these things. This is what we need to do. And, and again, going down towards that, maybe that cap and trade ideal, you know, ideology of 
massive taxation. We we have to do, we have to have a state uh, a state plan for taxation, and then we need to sign. It's Colorado needs to sign on to a nationwide taxation plan, and and we need these because these these grant dollars will can come back to the state and blah 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 blah. It got to me, and I was like, uh, nope, not and because that's the thing. All the other people around the room were like, sportsmen of Colorado want this. Nope. Nope. No, they don't. Not all of them. And if if I'm got if I've got to be the guy, and this is literally the gist of what I said is if I've got to be the guy that's gonna be here to represent all the other people that aren't there aren't able to speak, well that's just gonna be me. Because I know the organizations, I know the literal organizations, and I was at the time members of some of these organizations, and I know damn well that the organization never reached out to its membership to find out whether the membership itself wanted to sign on to these these programs. So not only are you not representing the people of Colorado, the sportsmen of Colorado, you're not even adequately representing the, the, the membership that you're claiming that you're, you're representing. You never reached out to any of us as members to find out if that's what we wanted. But you're going to sit here and claim that we want some massive taxation scheme? The hell you do. No. No. Not all Coloradans, not all Colorado sportsmen think this way. And basically, I, I don't remember how I put it, but basically it was a, if, if we want to have a comprehensive discussion, then yes, let's have that. Let's have a comprehensive discussion. All sportsmen do want more wildlife. All sportsmen want healthier habitats. All sportsmen do want these great and glorious things that are going to help sportsmen and wildlife and conservation on the landscape. But not all sportsmen are on board with this particular plan and ideology to get there. So if we, if, if these groups and these organizations with the governor's office want to have a conversation that I suggest we go ahead and put together a, a working group that we can literally sit and flesh some things out and then adequately bring forth those type of discussions and ideas and, and uh, strategies that we've all kind of worked on and then present several options to the governor that we can then chew on later. Holy shit. You want to you want to you want to talk about how popular Chrissy was in, a, after that one? <laughs> Let's just say I walked out of the Capitol building alone. <laughs> but that's the truth. So anyway, anyway, then they're done that as far as advocacy and dealing with animal activists and dealing with progressive ideology. Um, there's a time and place for to stand up and be like, I don't bloody freaking think so. But there's also a time and place where you need to have empathy. You need to have consideration. You need to, to listen to people's value sets, understand where their value sets are coming from. You don't have to agree with their value set, but you have to understand where it's coming from and then craft your input, your position statement, your whatever, involvement, craft it so that when someone who doesn't know any better listens to you talking, you are the most reasonable person in the room. When a legislator is reading, or their assistants, more importantly, their staffers, are reading through the public comments, excuse me, the public comments, the written comments, your comment gets pulled out and set on top of the, of the stack because your comment was one of the most reasonable comments that they could latch onto as opposed to one of the most alienating.
all right, it's been a little over two hours. I've rambled on enough. Um, we'll have some more discussions regarding this as, as it comes. I know there's other things popping up already. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to have another group of, uh, a, a round of questions and stuff coming in. Um, and quite honestly, some of what I referenced had to deal with discussions that were on other podcasts. I know the guys that are running those podcasts listen to this podcast. And so if something resonated and you're like, whoa, what the man freaking Okay. If you, if you want to have a discussion, let's, okay, set it up. We'll have a discussion. I, I left it vague because I don't think it, I don't think names and people and pointing fingers is, is important, relevant because it, it's a general theme. Okay. So anyway, but if, if, if you, if you disagree and I don't care if it's anybody, if you disagree or if you have a different take and you want to push back, let's have a discussion. Let's let, seriously, let's have a constructive discussion. All right. So anyway, hope that helps. <clears throat> Um, one last thing, and let's just go back to the beginning of why this flurry, what's going on, situational awareness. I'm telling you, anybody that has a governor election coming up, that's where you need to start paying attention to. People need to start asking very difficult questions to these candidates. If you ever have it, if there's a listening session, if there's a debate somewhere, if you can get your, you know, if there's going to be a debate coming up and they're soliciting uh, questions, Man, try to get some of your questions in and you need to ask very deep probative questions on how, what do they value? How do they value the North American model of wildlife conservation? How do they value the process? What type of people are they looking for as far as setting on the wildlife commission? Are they looking for a diverse, you know, uh, uh, diverse feel good, you know, type of person, or are they looking for somebody that has the, the experience and, and, and past experience dealing with wildlife and natural resources? The, the right of the governor is to put whoever the hell they want to in that position. The question is, how do they think? What is their value set and what might they do? I don't give a rip what they say they will do. A well-crafted question gets to the heart of what they might likely do. What they say they do during a campaign is wildly different than what oftentimes they do once the campaign's over and they've been elected. Okay, so what type of people are they looking for? Who are their friends? Look who's donating to them. Dig into all that stuff in many cases in some... to the greatest extent possible, pay attention to who they surround themselves with. Who are the people that are involved with their campaign? Who are the people that are donating large sums of money? Because oftentimes those are the people that end up being rewarded with positions in the, 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 the government and the commissions and all that type of stuff. They get put on those commissions. All right. Pay attention to what goes on in and around a campaign for the governor because that's going to mold your next incoming Wildlife and Natural Resources Commission. For your state legislatures, start paying attention to the candidates who are running. And I don't even care if it's a Democrat, but if it, and, and, I'm, and I say that meaning in many parts, of, well, it's, it's, Anybody that is worth their salt that has an ounce of honesty can see that the Democratic Party of today is not the Democratic Party of the 1980s and the 1990s. Okay, it's a different. It's a. It's a. It's way 
far leftist and way more progressive ideology than what it used to be. We have people that are, that consider themselves to be Democrats that are more conservative than, and, and more in line with what a lot of us believe than maybe even some uber far right, you know, right wing Republicans. The, the Jordan Petersons, you look at the, 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 uh, the Dave Rubens, you look at a lot of the Weinstein brothers. They are as, they are as left, they are as liberal, as, as blue as you can get, but they still have a conservative minded ideology to where they would actually be on our side. So if you have a, a primary or if you have a situation where you have multiple Democrats sitting up for, you know, that are running for election, you need to look at them very difficult, very closely and compare them to maybe some of the Republicans or independents, because you may actually find you found a Democrat that actually will ha- hold the line and have more positive, beneficial influence on the landscape than maybe just a, a, a Republican, you know, they call them rhinos, the Republican in name only. Okay. Look critically at the candidates that are running. Don't dismiss that type of stuff. I know in the past it's been easier. Like, I don't give a crap about politics. Well, guess what? The animal activists do. They freaking damn well do. And they'll put their money behind candidates because they know how they vote. They know how they can modify or they they can influence their vote. And when it comes down to a legislative action that that animal activist group is going to come in and put in later, they know that their guy, quote unquote, that they put in office is going to vote their way. Sportsmen had better get their shit together and start doing the same damn thing. Look critically at candidates and say, man, I like how you think. I like your value set. I like your value structure and how you mod- How can I help you? And freaking get involved, man. Because these are the people that are going to be the making the decisions when the animal activists come knocking on the door again. And when you're talking to your neighbors, and I'll end it here. I know I've said it three times I'm going to end it. When you're talking to your neighbors, Listen. Listen to engage meaningfully. Do not listen to react. Most people these days are listening just simply to react. Listen to what they're saying and try to identify what the underlying value structure actually is. Because you might find that the underlying value structure is not much different than yours. They just came to it in a different way. And maybe they're just not articulating their position well. And if you can listen to them and empathize with their position and incorporate their thoughts within your value set and your facts and data, and you can message it, you are much more likely to influence how they think later on than if you just come in and just try to bombard them with with facts and logic and and not listen to their point of view. All right, now it's done. Done, I'm done. I'm going to kill it. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have questions, by all means, continue to send the comments in. I'm going to ask. Again, I'm not, I don't have advertisers. The way I pay for this is the way I pay for everything. You guys the subscribers of Row Hunting Resources on the website is what fuels this whole thing. So I appreciate everyone and their subscriptions, especially those of you. I mean, I've got some of you have come back every year now for more than 10 years, which is just incredible. I love you. I love you to death. I, I appreciate all your support. If you like, if you're not a member, if you like what you heard, you want to hear more of this type of stuff, especially if you're an elk hunter, 
I would encourage you go to the website, pick up a subscription. We've got really easy options. Again, I keep talking about it. I, I haven't gone down that road yet. Maybe I'll just even do a, an option just to, just a not a page. I'll, I'll probably run it through the th- same thing that we're doing. Patreon has its issues. Some of these other money, you know, support, create content creator, you know, financial support mechanisms are just as woke and just as, as, well, I mean, look at, look at GoFundMe now with what's going on with the Canada, uh, Canada truckers and, uh, how they cave. So anyway, I'll probably just run it through the website as is, but I'll, I'll, maybe I'll put something in there for just, just to support the podcast. But anyway, it's, it, you guys, it's run right now by the subscribers of Row Hunting Resources, and I greatly appreciate it. No, all of these are not going to, all these podcasts are not going to just be focused on politics and, and some of this, you know, broader kind of discussions. I've got a pun, just a bunch of stuff to start talking about, especially when we get into the elk stuff, because um, there's a lot of good information there to talk about. But anyway, um, so thank you guys for your support. If you have not followed me on Instagram, please do so. That's where I spend the bulk of my social media these days. I'm really not into Facebook. Um, I know people keep asking about YouTube. I'm looking at other options. I understand that Rumble <clears throat> slash Locals is, does not have the user interface like YouTube does. It does not have the audience that YouTube does. But guess what? YouTube did not have the audience that YouTube does when YouTube first started being YouTube. I'm just really sick of the censorship. I'm, you know, same thing with Spotify. People ask me to jump on Spotify. Well, you know what? I'm going to sit back and watch what happens to Rogan because this is a bunch of shit as, as far as you ask me. So anyway, I'm still looking at other avenues to get, uh, you know, to let people consume this type of stuff. But in the meantime, Instagram is where it's at. The website is where it's at. And this podcast is where I spend the, the vast majority of time communicating with you. So, all right. Hope you guys have a great uh, Valentine's Day. Um, whether you're single, whether you're with some or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a day. Go treat yourself. Go have fun and uh, spend time with your loved ones. And if your loved one is you, then spend some time with yourself and, and treat yourself well as well. So, all right. Till next time. Talk to you soon.